All right, it is Amanda Smith and Barron. We are back from our commercial break. Um, I want to shout out our other two sponsors that are sponsoring this part of the show, making it possible for us to do an hour, and that is Five Marketing and Keep It Sarah Simple. Um, they are amazing. I think Five Marketing, if any website needs that you need, he is definitely your guy. Mike is his name. Awesome, amazing guy. He helped Baron with his website. And then keep it Sarah simple. If you have any questions about your diet, where if you're headed in the right direction, if you want to head in a better direction, she is definitely your girl to take care of all of those needs. That's very well summarized. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So let's. Oh, and we have Brenda on the phone. Brenda. We have a guest yes. over the phone. Thank Brenda, you. are you still with us? I am still here. I'm yeah, down you, here in Arizona where it's very warm. Very warm. Well, it's warm here, but not as warm as there. Yes. Thank, sure. thank, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> so be, before we went for the break, I threw some numbers out that even I was kind of shocked with when I did the research on this. <clears throat> I wanted some more accurate numbers on what's going on with cancer globally. And for 2020, which is the most recent numbers that are out there, 18.1 million people globally got cancer. That's a lot of people. Yeah. A lot. That's a lot of people. Uh, 9.3 million were men. 8.8 million were women. So more men than women got right. cancer globally. But and then, So if you think about that, half of that, half of that number was women. Mm-hmm. And yet still the number one cancer is breast cancer. I, when you were saying that earlier, it actually surprised me. Now, can breast cancer also be in men? That is a great question because we actually told a story in 2019 uh, about a gentleman who lived in Billings, Montana, and he got breast cancer. Okay. So one in 300 men do get breast cancer. Okay. Um, Just because it's breast cancer, that's the region of the body. Right. (laughs) You know, and, and so more women get it, and there's a lot of contributing reasons for it. But yes, one in 300 men do get breast cancer. Wow, one in 300? Yeah. So more than we know. Yeah, way more than we know. In this gentleman's case, um, he was in his early 80s, and and he was a rancher in Montana. So the last thing he wanted his friends to know. (laughs) So he actually ignored it long enough that it ate a hole through his chest the size of a quarter. Oh, no. And the only reason the family even knew is because he's older, he wears a white shirt. Yeah. Someone gave him a hug, big red spot. They opened the shirt up. The cancer had eaten through his skin the size of a quarter. And he just didn't want to tell anybody? Or he was 80 get... years old. He wanted to tell his friends he had breast cancer. Yeah. So I guess ultimately, it's a pride thing. A pride thing. He's a rancher in Montana. Yeah. You know, ultimately, he passed from metastatic breast cancer, but it went to his prostate. And Okay. You know, but yeah. to answer your question, yes, men do get breast cancer. Okay. Yeah, because uh, I, was, I was curious how it was, breast cancer was the number one, but... Men were the most right. highest cases. Right. So 12.5% of the people in the world got breast cancer, 122 got lung cancer, and 107 got colon cancer. Okay. Um, the other thing we were talking about was nations, the top 10 nations. Yes. And when I was looking this up, this is a pretty fair way to compare nations. It's cases per 100,000 people. I like that they did that. Okay. So the number one nation in the world is Australia. Okay. 452 people per 100,000 people. It's a lot. It's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. And number two is a neighbor, New Zealand, 
which is a little island right next to Australia. Yeah. Right? 422. Okay, so almost very similar. Right. Number three was Ireland at 373 people. Jeez. Number four was the United States. Mm-hmm. Number five was Denmark. Then Netherlands, Belgium, Canada, and France. So what I find intriguing about the middle part of that list is it's all basically the same um, longitude yeah. on, in the, United States, uh, the world. So you go Canada, United States, France, that's all the same right. area. So I wonder if there's some genetic things going on with those people. Oh, yeah. Or is there a commonality with what they eat? Where, yes. My first thought was those nations have a lot of processed food. Absolutely. Okay. Very much so. Now, as I was having this discussion with somebody between finding the information coming here, um, the bottom five is Niger, Gambia, Nepal, Bhutan, which is a little country next to Nepal, and Congo. Those five nations don't have as good a reporting system as these other countries do. So many people got cancer and didn't notify anybody. Right. But those countries also don't have a lot of processed food. Right. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Right? Okay. I mean, think about Congo, Gambia, Niger. Those are countries in Africa that are really still eating off the land. Right, absolutely. And yet you've got Denmark, Netherlands, Belgium, Canada, Ireland. So since Brenda's still on the phone with us, Brenda, what are your thoughts about, Yeah. and again, we've talked correlation versus causation. There's nothing to prove causation, but there's some degree of correlation. What are your thoughts on the correlation here? Right, and good points there that you've brought up. And I think you're exactly right. One of the big things is the people in most countries are more likely to be eating their native diet. The items that would have been produced from the land in the area in which they live. Because they're eating more of the native diet and they don't have access to what we call processed food, here in the western side of the country, in the western diet, processed food, then they will not have all the preservatives in their body. And, you know, people call it processed food, but it's really not even food. Let's look at the ingredients on it. You look at the label, the ingredient list on a Twinkie, and if you didn't know that it was a Twinkie, you would not know what item you're actually looking at. Like, real food doesn't actually have an ingredient label in it. It's an apple. It's a, it's a, a bag of beans. It doesn't need a big label. But they call it processed food, but it's not really food. I like to call it processed edible. Yeah. It's something you could actually put into your mouth. That's a good way to phrase not it. not really food. That's a good way to phrase it, <laughs> processed isn't, edibles. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's, it's a processed edible. It's not even really food. The other thing that they did, there's quite a few things, and there are actually a lot of the similar things that we try to talk about with kick and cancer, with our pillars that we have. Another thing they have is they have movement. We, you could call it exercise, but they're not like necessarily striving to get out and go for a 5K every day. They're just doing movement. They're going and picking out some items out of their garden. They're dealing with things around their house or their animals. They're going to get water. They're just doing daily movement. And they're also getting some outside time. Very beneficial with the sunlight 
the UVB rays, which come in the middle of the day, are very beneficial to your body, and you need that vitamin D. They're going to have much more access to that than we have because we just don't tend to get outside enough. We need to step outside and get that sunlight. They're going to be living in an area that has less pollution, and along the line of less pollution, there's less what we call light pollution. They're not going to have so many of the big cities with the large billboards that are shining all night. When you don't have as much light pollution, you get better sleep because you're better off if you can sleep in a dark environment. So one of the other benefits they're getting is real good REM sleep. On a general basis, I realize there's issues and there's different people that live in cities, but as a general population, they're having real REM sleep that when we're in countries that have a lot of light pollution, we can't gain that as easily. And they tend to live in family or social support situations. Another one of the pillars that we put forth in Kick and Cancer they have that family, they're maybe living with two or three other generations, or maybe they have a strong connection and tie to their social situation around them. There's a lot of activities they participate in, whether it be growing the garden or taking care of the children or going to school, that that's really going to benefit them in that social support. And there's early things that benefited them. Uh, early, there's many studies that early breastfeeding will benefit not only the child, but hugely to the mother in breastfeeding that child to help ward off reproductive forms of cancer, including breast cancer. So there's a lot of there's contributing kind of a lot factors. A um, lot. And, and I think one key point, Brenda, um, I've tried to reiterate that over and over again on the show, is that there's a lot of stuff that I've discovered that I can show some correlation. I don't have either the research team or the data to prove causation, but everything you're talking about, there's a definite correlation with these lower these lower nations that yeah. you know lower rates. Um, while you were doing that, I was looking back in the book that we were referencing. Um, it says the idea that food is bad for us will make us feel better as a strange idea, but one that is thoroughly ingrained in our culture. We are not only spreading the Western diet to each other, but also exporting it to unhealthy diet to the world. It is no coincidence that cancer and other chronic diseases are taking hold in the very places where the Western diet is most readily adopted. In fact, cancer rates are on the rise in countries that were once had the lowest rates in the world. For example, breast cancer is now higher in China because they've adopted some of our food habits. Yeah. And India... And colon cancer in Japan. Wow. So those countries, I was mentioning this to Amanda on the break, I went and looked up the countries that had more than a million cases. There's only four countries in the world that had more than a million cases. China was number one. They had 4.5 million cases. That's but so many. It's a lot. But I also wanted to get kind of an uh, even playing field. Like how many people live there? Right, right. right. So there's 1.4 billion people that live in China. Whoa. Yeah, that's a lot of people. So many people. So 0.3% of their population got cancer. Okay. Number two was the United States. We had 2.3 million cases. We have 329, we had 329 million in our population. So 0.7% of our population got cancer. Wow. India, now this is another one they mentioned in the book, India had 1.3 million cases. They have 1.4 billion people. 
So only 1.1% of their population got cancer. Okay. But the one that shocked me the most was Japan. Mm -hmm. Japan had a million cases. They have 126 million people. 0.8% of their population got cancer. That's a lot. So, again, back to what this guy in the book is saying. As we move our Western diet to other nations who weren't used to doing that way of eating, Mm -hmm. we're beginning to see cancer rates grow in those other nations. Yeah. Is food a factor? Very possibly. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think it's a huge factor. And even though we don't have a... Sorry? No, go ahead. Yeah, and even though we don't have an exact uh, causation from it, there can be a correlation like you talked about. And my feeling is, why not try this? Like, it's not going to hurt me to eat the good fresh food. It is going to hurt me to eat the processed edibles. So even if it isn't exactly a causation... Hmm, the correlation is strong enough. I'm willing to risk it. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you said they're preservative edibles because when you said that, it made me think like when I do look at some of the ingredients, I don't know or understand probably 95% of them that are listed. One of the, it was, is that, in fact, it was a year ago today. Brenda had come and we had done the Spartan race, and then we went up to this lady named Ingeborg's house, and we did a cooking show from her house. Mm-hmm. It was a really, really fun cooking show. I'm sure Brenda remembers doing it. But the lady said, or maybe it was you that Brenda said it, but one of you said, if I can't pronounce the ingredients, maybe I shouldn't eat it. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> if, 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 if it takes a laboratory to create the ingredient, it, I can't digest it. Yeah. Right, Brenda? And there's... Yeah, it's going to take a laboratory to be able to digest it. Yep. That's crazy. That's that's a lot. So, uh, you know, uh, just a simple tip for people as you're looking at your food and you're reading the ingredients, if you can't pronounce it, maybe you shouldn't eat it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> so I really, really am glad that Brenda called in because my story this week actually relates to Brenda. Okay. So, any Brenda, before I shift to the story, any other really interesting comments here on our antioxidants and global cancer rates? Well, just to reiterate everything that we just talked about, again, nothing in the things that we chatted about, the real food, none of that's going to hurt you. Just like you talked about, Amanda, your child, your baby needed that extra fruit to be able to overcome the challenge. That baby knew what what he was seeking. And none of this is going to hurt your body. Now, you may have a, a food sensitivity to a certain item. If you have a problem with nightshade, you'll need to watch out for tomatoes. But in general, any of these things are not going to hurt your body. And so the benefit is, Put more of them in, and the more of those you eat, the less room you have in your diet, in your body, in your belly, to add the processed edibles in there, and then you're getting the benefit all the way around. Yeah. So while we've we've talked so much over the last several months about food, and, and we've had um, Danny Warren here as a guest, we've talked about Juice Plus and the value of trying to get that in your capsule form. Yes. Um, I'm really excited to announce that this coming Wednesday, the, the 23rd, Danny's actually coming up to Salem, and it's going to be a luncheon that you can RSVP for, and it is called Stories of Hope. Okay. And we're going to share with some people some stories of hope yeah. of what, you know, what Juice Plus has done for them. Okay. Um, and I'm really thrilled to announce we're going to have this at the Kick and Cancer headquarters. Oh. 
We're having this in my office. That's cool. <laughs> Which is rapidly becoming the national headquarters for getting cancer. I love it. So we, we have followers, pretty active follower in Denver, Colorado. Obviously, Brenda's down there in Arizona. We've got some people in Washington. So this is the national headquarters for getting cancer. Oh, that's so awesome. So if people wanted to register for that, you said they had to register, where would they go? So you're obviously emailing Amanda here, or e- they can email me. Um, my email is exec.com. D-I-R, so it's Executive Director Abbreviated, at kiki-cancer.org. Just if you hear the show, you'd like to come to this, we're going to serve lunch, and because it's serving between 12 to 1. Okay. So this will be your lunch hour. Yeah. So you want to RSVP, so we know you're coming, so we know what kind of meal you want. We'll give you a good, healthy option. But these are just going to be some stories of hope on what food is doing for people's bodies. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And one of the stories will actually probably be Victoria Shin sharing her story as well. Oh, she's awesome. I yeah. enjoy her. So something really fun happened about this time four years ago. Okay. So Brenda and I had done the Spartan race, and a small handful of us, now remember, the Warrior Dash had 42. Mm-hmm. Of that, we dwindled down to 12. 42 is a pretty big number. It was a pretty good-sized number big. at the Warrior Dash. But yeah. the Warrior Dash was three miles. It was 12 obstacles. If Unfortunately, they didn't survive COVID. They filed bankruptcy. But... If you did it, I would tell anyone you can do the Warrior Dash. It's not that hard. The Spartan's a different creature. <laughs> if you don't train, it's going to be a really brutal afternoon. But like how you said, creature. It's a different creature. Yeah, it's a different creature altogether. <laughs> um, and Brian, I didn't know that until we got there. And I was like, holy crap, this is hard. <laughs> but 12 of us did do the Spartan race. Or did the, we did the Spartan Sprint, which is the three-mile version. Okay. And after it was done... We were talking to this guy who had done what they call the trifecta. So if you do the three-mile, the six-mile, and the 13-mile all in one year, you get the trifecta award. Oh, all right. So a few of us that are on mental leave from the state mental hospital, we're just crazy have to try this. (laughs) (laughs) That explains everything. Yeah, now you know my secret. (laughs) I'm on a work release program. I did did not participate in that one. I'll just put that down for the record. (laughs) Brenda's not that crazy. (laughs) But we decided to go after it. Well, the first one was called the the Super. Mm -hmm. That's the six-mile one. So in January 2019, we started training for it. And many of them, they wanted to wear something to represent the organization, so the listeners can't see this, but I have one of our really bright pink shirts on. Yes, you do. And we developed a program called Burpees for Brenda. I and love we, it. And we all said, you know what, we're going to go do this. And if we have to do a burpee, we're doing it for Brenda because she can't be with us. So we, we drove up to Seattle in April 2019. What made that so interesting was the week prior, it rained every day. For the whole week before that race. Oh, no. <laughs> we all left Salem at 5 in the morning. We piled into one guy's car. And, uh, and we got to about Kalama uh, or Kelso area, which is, for those listening don't know, it's about halfway over here Seattle. Right. And then now it's about 8 o'clock in the morning. So we pull in this Denny's to get some breakfast. The other guys are in their 30s. And here I am at 55 years old. And they looked at the menu and said, Baron, you can offer the senior menu. Ow. <laughs> I said, yes, I can, but I'm still with you guys. <laughs> so we had some breakfast about 8, I guess it was about uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. We got up to Seattle, and we called Brenda. Remember that phone call, Brenda? 
Yep. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. What a good phone call. Yeah, so we were sitting there in the car getting ready to go to registration, and we called Brenna saying, hey, we made it up here. Um, and again, mm. it had rained for a week straight. Right. So this is at an equestrian ranch. So the location has a big flat area for the horses to roam and graze and this crazy hill behind it with a trail for the horses to go up and down. There wasn't a dry piece of dirt anywhere. Oh, I bet. Oh, it was so wet. Especially with horses and and, (sighs) at a ranch. Yeah. Not only was it wet, it was probably really, really, really muddy. It was, and and it wasn't smooth because it grooves for the horses. Exactly. You know. Yes. And I still remember my friend Jess. We've talked about Jess and you know him training for the Spartan as well. Yes. So Jess and I are staying together. We're checking our bags in, and there's some guys that had just finished. And they were stood in front of me, and it was cold. The air was 42 degrees. Oh, brr. And he sat there like this, going, it's going to be okay, guys. You're going to be all right. He was shaking. He was so cold. I looked at Jess and going, what did we sign up for? <laughs> what did we do? And you take off, and you go up this hill behind the, the festival area. And as you head up this hill, it's actually the horse trail. Okay. So as you head down... With the water, the trails become like a river headed down. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah. And one of the obstacles, and, and Brendan, I love this obstacle. It's, it's called the underwall. So you climb in a, mm-hmm. they, they, they dig a pit. Right. You climb in the pit. They fill the pit with water. They bring a wall right to the edge of the water, and you go under the wall. Okay. Except that's fun in Washougal in August. The water was so cold, Amanda, so cold. And we still had five miles to go. Oh, my God. We weren't even at the halfway point yet. So you're going to get soaked. you got to go completely under. You, you got to submerge you, your you whole body. Submerge and you go under the wall and pop your head back up again. Holy smokes. Yeah. And so you're going to be freezing for that whole five miles yep. soaking wet. Yeah. In fact, it, the, the rule on the Spartan course is <clears throat> it, you can leave the course for medical assistance. Right. I still remember the first time Brent and I did these. Uh, there's a little waiver you sign, and you come in, and there's a spot that says that you know you could die. Holy smokes. You did come straight from the mental hospital, yep. didn't you? And you actually say, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> because in these obstacles, you're not harnessed. You know, if you fall or if you right. drown, whatever. And so you know these obstacles are dangerous when you go into them. So we finished, and, and I was the very last person across the finish line. Okay. Um, what was interesting was the other guys, and then Burhanu and Dale, they had already gone ahead of me. They had finished and dried off and gotten their clothes on. They're also in their 30 years. They're younger than I am. Yeah. And they went over to the announcer, and they told the announcer my name. Now, I didn't realize they had done this, but the second to last obstacle is this A-frame with cargo name that you climb up and over. Oh, yeah. And I got to the top, and my foot got stuck in the cable, and I was having trouble getting my foot out of the... The rope? Mm-hmm. Well, Jess had already gone over, and the announcer goes, Hey, Jess, go back and get Baron. He's stuck. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how does that guy know my name? You're like, wait, what? <laughs> how does, like, does he know everybody on the course yeah. by name? <laughs> yeah. So we crossed the finish line, and the next day, this friend of mine, Casey, that introduced us to us, he calls me, and he says, how you feeling? I said, Casey, I'm 55 years old. I'm, my butt. I'm, I'm cold, but I'm not broken, but I did finish last. He says, yeah. no, you didn't. A hundred people got so cold, they walked off that course. That's inspiring. 
So just the fact you finished. The, yeah, exactly. You're not last because you finished. Well, mm-hmm. even if you're last, you still cross that finish line regardless of who walked off or who not. The fact that you kept your dedication there and you had their, your purpose and your reason to be there and you stayed strong in that regardless of the conditions is inspiring. Well, and it's always been Brett and I's goal that we start together, we finish together. Right. So, so comes August... Brenda flies up. We're going to do the three-mile one together. And uh, Brenda will vividly remember this incident. We do this at Washougal. It's a motocross course. So anyone who likes riding motorcycles, there's a hill called Horsepower Hill. It's designed to rub your motorcycle up and go up the hill. Okay. Well, you have to come down that hill, too, on, on your feet. Oh, gosh. And it's compact dirt. And so the technique is to kind of turn your body sideways so you can use your legs as buffers. But I got my feet pointed too far forward and I was gaining speed. Oh, no. And I knew I couldn't slow myself down. Yeah. So I intentionally fell before I hurt yourself. Hurt myself, right? Uh, but then I had to go back up that hill and then do some more obstacles. And, and Brenda stayed with me the whole time. Like she could have finished yeah. way. And, and she said, let's just finish together. And I limped across the finish line as Brad and I held our hands together. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. And then we go back to Seattle in September, a month later, to do the Beast, which is the 13-mile course. You guys are the beasts. You know, <laughs> Let me just say that with all of these things you're doing. So we're standing in this um, starting area, and they get like about 100 people in there to get ready to start the race. And this guy looks over and he sees all of us in these really bright pink shirts. And he says, okay, there's a, there's a story here. There's a, there's a team going on. And so he comes over and I was just gonna tell him, but he puts the microphone and now people know it's okay to put a microphone in Mary's face. So I said, we're doing this for my sister who has metastatic breast cancer. She'd be here if she could, but we're doing burpees for Brenda. That's so awesome. We are just about out of time. Thank you so much for joining us, Brenda. I really, really appreciate it. Um, And again, thank you to our sponsors for this last segment. That's Five Marketing and Keep It Sarah Simple. And we will be back next Saturday. As as the the movement movement continues. continues.